My wife tapped me on the leg there just a moment ago, said, you look like you having fun. I said, I am, I miss the saints. It's been a long time since I've been with y'all. It's good to be gathered together as God's people and to be gathered together to hear God's word. Let me pray for us and we'll get into the Lord. Father, thank you so much for this time and for this opportunity to praise you in the hearing of your word, the believing of your word, the application of your word. We pray that you would bless not just the preaching, but the receiving. We pray, O oh Lord, that it would come through. Your word would come through clear, not muddied, not tainted, accurate and true, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, we, we can't understand your word unless your spirit illumine it to us. So Holy Spirit, illuminate the word, shine a light on our heart, shine a light onto the path so that we might be able to keep in step with you. Bless now your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Happy New Year again. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. The ushers have a couple of Bibles that they're willing to pass out this morning. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and keep it up, and uh, they will bring you one. Uh, we're going to be in a new series this morning. It's a series of sermons that we do every year at the top of the year uh, through our what we call five M's our five M's. You might think of these as our five goals as a church or our five objectives as a church that help us to think about how we work out our mission. Our mission, as we said earlier in the service, is that we exist to glorify God. What does that mean? That means to bring fame to God, to bring honor and respect and praise to God. So we exist to glorify God in a certain way by making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we want to help other people follow Jesus in faith and follow his teachings. That's what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we wanted to make this statement Trinitarian. We, we ought to say right here, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we exist to glorify God by making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, where? From the four corners of the block, that is where we live. Whether your block is Anacostia or Bowie or Alexandria, from the four corners of the block, wherever we are, to the four corners of the globe, wherever we ain't, we want to see the gospel go to all peoples and disciples be made among all people. Well, you say, well, what's your strategy for doing that? Well, that's where we talk about our five M's. We have five sort of um, things that begin with the letter M. They all come from the book of Titus um, that, that help us to define what we're about. They're these. Number one, we exist to spread the message of Jesus Christ, to spread the message of Jesus Christ. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Number two, uh, we wish to show mercy to our neighbors. Show mercy to our neighbors. Lord willing, we'll talk about that next week. Three, we also are, exist as a church to shepherd each other to maturity. That is, we exist as a church to help each other to grow, to look more and more like Jesus, to have his life come out through us more and more completely. Number four, we seek to multiply. This is our baby kid statement, right? We don't die, we multiply. So we seek to multiply. Uh, and, and here we're thinking about two things in particular. We're thinking about the multiplication of church leaders, pastors, deacons, deaconesses, servants in the church. We, we, churches in one sense are training grounds for people to serve Christ. 
and to multiply churches themselves. So we don't exist just for ourselves. ARC is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is way bigger than ARC, and, and we are part of that kingdom. And every church that preaches the same gospel we preach, we're all on, we are all on team Jesus, right? And so what we want to see is the growth of the gospel, not just the growth of our church, right? And so this is why we plant churches. This is why Mercy of Christ was planted five or six years ago. This is why Congress Heights Community Church was planted a little over a year ago. This is why we helped to found something called the Creek Collective, which looks to plant churches in neglected and vulnerable black and brown neighborhoods, right? So we want to multiply the gospel. And then finally, we want to send missionaries. We want to send missionaries to the ends of the earth. This is how we reach the the four corners of the globe. And so each year we like to try and, and refocus in some way on these five objectives or these five M's. And this year I felt like the Spirit was prompting me uh, not so much to spend time thinking about um, mercy or thinking about maturity theologically or conceptually, uh, not to spend so much time thinking about particular strategies that we might use to advance those things, kind of actions that we might take, but instead to think about the postures that are needed for us to advance these objectives. The postures we ought to have. You know what posture is, right? It's, it's how you hold your body, how you sort of orient your body. It's, it's not just how you hold or position your body, but it's, it's also how you position your heart. Right, so so we've all probably got moms uh, and dads when we were little used to look at us and with a little bit of agitation say, "Stand up straight, stop sagging, stop slouching, pull your pants up, sit up straight." Right? They're teaching us posture. Well, why is posture important? Well, posture is important for at least two or three reasons. Number one, it affects your health. Right. So you sitting around slouched all the time or you hunched over a keyboard all the time, you start to develop problems like carpal tunnel or, or problems with your neck and your shoulders. That's, that's often related to posture. So, so posture affects our health, but posture also communicates something about us, doesn't it? If, if you meet a young man, if you meet a teenager, 15, 16, 17 years old, and um, when you meet them, they're sort of standing straight up. They extend the hands and they give you a firm handshake and they look you in the eye. They communicate to you, don't they? You think, oh, this is a young person with respect who's kind of got it together, right? Conversely, if you meet someone and, and the young person's posture is they can't seem to be still, they can't look up, they always like this, they're looking off, you, you kind of think this person maybe is a, as a young person is, is immature or something, right? So our posture communicates. Our posture toward the neighborhood communicates things to the neighborhood about what we believe as neighbors or how we are going to treat them as neighbors. Our heart attitude has a lot to do with our effectiveness as a congregation. So in this series, what I'm hoping, by God's grace and the power of the Spirit, is, is that God would adjust our posture if we need it. That he teach us to stand up straight. That he teach us to make good eye contact. 
They teach us to be in the right position as a spiritual body and to have the right heart as a spiritual body to do the things he's called us to in this mission. And the first thing I want us to think of is that that first M, which is the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, what posture do we need in order to spread the message as effectively as we hope? Now, there are a lot of things, ways we could answer this question, but I want to answer the question this morning this way. We, We need a posture of sentness of sentness, S-E-N-T-ness, N-E-S-S. We need to understand that we are a sent people. And that sense of being sent has to inform our identities, has to inform our activities, has to give us the posture to be ready to share the gospel. And so we want to unpack that in three ways this morning. If you're taking notes, number one, we want to see, first of all, that we serve a sent Savior. We serve a sent Savior. Number two, we want to see that, as we just said, we are a sent people. We are, therefore, a sent people. And then number three, that we are meant to be also a sending people. We're meant to be also a sending people. And so we're going to be moving around the Gospels a bit and moving around the New Testament. So all the hinges on your Bible or get your your scroll finger ready uh, and follow me to uh, the various passages of Scripture. And uh, let's ask the Lord again to, to illumine us. Father, we pray, give us understanding as we turn to your word. Help us to see Jesus clearly. And help us, Lord, seeing him, to long for him and to long to be like him. Do this for your praise and your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we want to see this morning is that we serve a sent Savior. As a Christian church who takes the Bible seriously, we we want our mission, uh, our goals, our postures to be rooted in the Bible, to be rooted in biblical theology, to be rooted in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We want to be God-centered. We want to be Christ-centered. We want to be Bible-centered in this way. And one of the things that we would, uh, would be easy to overlook as we read the Bibles is just how often Jesus is described as having been sent. I mean, sent's not one of those theological words that jumps off the page at you and makes you go, oh, I need a dictionary right? You, you run up on propitiation, you're like, what that mean? You read sent, you just keep going, right? But pause for a moment and, and think about what this means. I mean, Jesus doesn't come by coincidence. It's not by happenstance. It's not something that just kind of evolved. God the Father sent him, told him to come, and for at least four reasons. Number one, Jesus was sent to show us the Father, to show us the Father. Look with me in John chapter 14, verses 6 to 9. Write that down. You can look at it later if you want. John chapter 14, verses 6 to 9. This is what we, we read there. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now, this, this tripped the disciples out. So Philip said in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. We, we want to see God. If we could just see God, that would be enough. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So anyone who has seen Jesus, either in the immediate context of this passage, saw him with their natural eyes, knew him in this physical realm, or anyone who has seen Jesus with the eyes of faith has seen the Father, has seen what God is like. If you ever want a clear picture, if you're here this morning and you've got questions about what is God like and who is God, all you need to do is get good looks at Jesus. Is why he was sent, to show us what the Father is like, to give us a picture of what God is like. And, and we're told in the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 1, that Jesus is the exact representation of God, that he is the radius of his glory. Uh, the word there in the, in the Greek in, in Hebrews 1 says he is the icon. He is a kind of incarnate icon of God. So if you would see the Father, if you would see God, you must look at Jesus. And that's why he was sent, to show us the Father. But number two, Jesus was sent to serve humanity. He was sent to serve humanity. If you look back just a couple of chapters to John chapter 13, there's this well-known passage beginning in verse 1, where Jesus is before the, the feast of the Passover, Jesus knows that it's about time for him to be crucified and to depart. And he's gathered with his disciples, who, whom he loves, and he's going to give them a lesson. He wraps a towel around his waist. He gets a, a, a bowl of water. And you know what he does next, right? He, he washes the disciples' feet. And that act of washing the disciples' feet has, for Christians, been the sort of ultimate representation of humility and service. Get what's happening in this scene. The Lord of creation, the God of the universe, the one who upholds the universe with his word, is bowing to wash the feet of his creatures. The maker is serving the maid. Peter's like, this is too much for me now, Lord. You don't wash my feet. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. If, if I don't wash your feet, if I don't serve you, you have no part with me. And Peter, with good sense, was like, well, wash my whole body then. Okay? But we see here the Lord Jesus coming to serve humanity. And if that sort of action wasn't clear enough in its meaning, this is precisely what Jesus tells us in Mark's gospel when he says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he came to serve humanity. We see him doing it, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, setting captives free traveling by foot to teach and to preach, eating with tax collectors and touching the leper 
It's never been a God who served as much as Jesus. He came to us to care for us. And as Mark 10, 45 said, to give his life as a ransom for us. Here's the third thing. Why was Jesus sent? Well, he was also sent to satisfy God's law. He was sent to satisfy God's law. To be sent really is to, to have a sense of purpose, right? When we talk about people who are um, who sort of lack a sense of purpose, we, we describe them as what? Lost or wandering, right? They, they're, they're kind of going no place in particular. Uh, but the person who is sent and has a sense of their sentness now, they have a direction, they have a purpose, they have a, they have a focus that, that guides them. And one of the things that guided Jesus was his coming, his being sent into the world to satisfy God's law in our place. Remember how he puts it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. He's there and he's talking about the law of God and he says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law, to destroy it or to loose it or tear it down. He said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. You might ask yourself the question, so what? Why was that? Why was that necessary? Well, Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Turn there. Turn there with me. Paul gives us a theological explanation as to why this was so critical. Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, he says there in verse 3, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, by human flesh, could not do, right? So God does what the law requires because in our weak human natures, as as sinners, the, the human flesh, we couldn't do it. And now, how did he do that? How does God do what the law requires of us? The next sentence tells us, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see what what the Bible is telling us here. God sent his son with this purpose to fulfill the law in perfect flesh, in perfect humanity, to satisfy the requirements of the law when we could not. And so what we could not do in our own human strength, in our own human nature, Jesus was sent to do in our place for us so that everything that God requires of us in his holy word, Jesus supplies for us in his incarnation and obedience and death. Now, that doesn't seem glorious until you consider how much God requires of us and how perfectly we must do it. So when we see Jesus, for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, teaching the law, he doesn't just teach the letter of the law. He'll say things like this, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, right? And, And for human beings in the flesh, that communicates kind of one standard. And, and, and we tend to put that standard right about where we could achieve it. No, I, I, ain't, I ain't slept with someone else's spouse, right? But Jesus says, but I say to you, if you look at someone's spouse with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. And so he's, he's tightening the grip of the law 
showing us the intent of the law, showing us the spirit of the law, that it's not just about the letter of the law, whether or not you touched or didn't touch, it was what was going on also in your heart and your mind. And all of a sudden, we feel the pinch of the law a little bit sharper, don't we? For who of us has not lusted? Who of us has not had thoughts that we should not have had? And if God were to hold our sins against us, who of us could stand? And so then, all of a sudden, we see how precious it is that Jesus was sent and sent to fulfill the law, to satisfy God's law in our place, which brings us to his ultimate reason for being sent. Jesus, God sent Jesus to save us from sin and judgment, to save us from sin and judgment. This is the entire point of the Bible. It's the whole story of the Bible, God doing things to, to send to us messengers and ultimately his son in order to rescue us from the judgment that we deserve because of sin. This is, this is the entire point of perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible, verses in the Bible, John 3, 16 and 17. You can turn there, but you probably know it by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Then this is what's said in verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he, but he, sent, he sent his son into the world in order that the world might be saved through him. That's why he came, beloved, for you and me, that we might be saved through him. That's the central purpose of his coming, and that's, that's the purpose that's connected to his sentness, to his following his father's instruction, and it's so central to who he, who he is, it's actually the meaning of his name. Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, the angel is talking to Mary and Joseph and explaining, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. This is why Jesus was sent. If you haven't recognized it already, please recognize that God the Father sent God the Son for you. For you. For you, Jesus was sent to show us what God is like. For you, Jesus was sent to serve. For you, Jesus was sent to fulfill the requirements of the law. Beloved, for you and me. Jesus was sent to rescue us from judgment and hell. For you have never been a more precious couple of words. And it's grasping that it was for you personally, individually. It's grasping that that is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. 
as long as Jesus's life and Jesus's ministry and what Jesus did and, and why Jesus was sent was sort of out there abstractly, something that we've heard before and, and something that maybe even intellectually we don't have questions about, but it's not something that was for you, well, it doesn't really actually affect you. It doesn't help you. It, it doesn't bring you any benefit. There are plenty of people who know these facts, but, but don't know the reality. It's not until you and I say, no, 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 this was for me. I'm the one who didn't know what God was like and was going my own way. I'm the one who was selfish and wouldn't serve others and was sinful in my attitude. I'm the one who was breaking God's law. I'm the one who was always out there uh, like, like, like a lost sheep going my own way. I'm the one who needed to be rescued. I actually deserved that judgment. And I needed to be rescued from it. Jesus did was for me. It's not till it comes home that way that it's actually yours. And it can be yours even now simply by recognizing that and confessing it to God. I should have been dead and gone, buried in my grave, headed toward an eternal agony in hell but for me. God sent Jesus to rescue me. And beloved, if you're here this morning and you want that rescue, if you want to know this God, if you want all of your sins forgiven and a perfect righteousness in God's sight, just call upon God and say, this was for me. I needed that. I believe this. Thank you, Lord. And if you do that this morning, we want to know about it. We want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. We want to answer any questions you have. Don't leave without talking with us about that. But this morning, know that Jesus was sent for you. And receive that. So that's the first thing we want to observe. Theologically, we serve a sent Savior. And then secondly now, we are a sent people. We are a sent people. So this same sense of sentness that governed Jesus should also be at work in, in our minds, in our hearts, in our identities, and how we understand our purpose. It makes sense, doesn't it? If we, if we follow a sent Savior, then in some sense we must be a sent people. And indeed, when we look at Jesus' earthly life in the Gospels, that's precisely what we see him doing with his disciples over and over in some fashion, sending them. So notice, first of all, that Jesus involves sending when he calls his disciples, when he calls his disciples. Look at Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 15, the Lord, as, as I just mentioned, is calling his disciples and, and gathering the, uh, the men who would soon become the apostles uh, of the faith, the 12 apostles. And this is what we see beginning in verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and called to them those whom he desired. And they came to him. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, which basically means sent ones, so that they might be with him, notice, and he might send them to preach and have authority to cast out demons. See, right at the very heart 
of the call to Christian discipleships, discipleship, whether it's the apostles here uniquely or any other Christian that follows Jesus, right at the heart is not just a call to come, come to Jesus, but also a call to be sent, to be sent for Jesus, to bear witness to Jesus, to, to proclaim his name and to do his work. So there's no sense in which Jesus calls you and doesn't also intend to send you. Right? See, being sent is at the heart of the call to discipleship. But notice something else. Sending is not only how Jesus calls his disciples. Sending is how Jesus coaches his disciples. It's how he coaches his disciples. Look with me in Mark chapter 6, verse 7. Just flip over a couple pages there in, in Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 6. Jesus has just been rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. And then he comes to verse 7, he begins to train his apostles. And verse 7 says there, and he called the 12, and notice, and he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. And we'll see this a number of times uh, in the Gospels. Uh, we'll see this in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. You'll see it in Luke chapter 10, verse 3. This is Jesus' ordinary method for teaching people how to follow him, for coaching them in the Christian life. He sends them. He'll gather them for a period of teaching and instruction, and then he'll have this season where he sends them out on these short-term trips to, to do the work of the ministry. They can't learn to minister properly by only and always being with him. Jesus knew there was a time coming when he would no longer be on the earth, when he would be taken up in the resurrection, taken up into glory, and the, the trust of the gospel, the future of the church, would be entrusted to the hands of his followers. So he needed to train them or to coach them in how to do things when he was gone, and that training required sending. So there's to be for us a regular rhythm of being with Jesus for a while, receiving teaching, receiving his comfort, receiving his love, and then going out for Jesus, being sent by Jesus to spread the same to our family, our friends, and our neighbors. That, that rhythm of coming to Jesus and being sent by Jesus should be a regular rhythm in our lives. It should be a regular aspect of our identities. Notice one more thing. Sending is not only how Jesus calls his disciples and coaches his disciples. Sending is how Jesus commissions his disciples. And you're probably ahead of me with this one, but well-known passages, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, the Great Commission. Go, he's sending Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey or observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Or here's how John puts it at the end of his gospel. John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Couldn't be much clearer than John 17, verse 18. Jesus is at prayer. He prays to the Father, as you sent me in the world, into the world, so I 
have sent them into the world. See, in Jesus' mind, that's been his whole program for us. To call us to himself in faith and repentance and salvation and Christian discipleship. And having called us to himself, taught and discipled us, and then sent us out into the world, just as the Father sent him into the world. So our posture, we have to position our bodies, we have to position our hearts, we have to position our minds with this posture that we are sent people, that we're an on-the-go people. We're not sort of a sedentary people. We're not a, a sitting people, never moving, never going, sort of accruing comfort to some place of ease. It's not our posture. Can't be our posture always. It's never that. I'm not saying we never find comfort in his life. The Lord gives us plenty of comfort, gives us plenty of blessing, gives us ease from time to time. But we should be experiencing that as a people who are postured for this sent life. Well, how, how do we get there? How do we do that? A couple, couple of applications for us. Number one, we, we want to be individual Christians with this sense of sentness. And, and how, do, how, do we, how do we develop that? Well, maybe, maybe you practice affirmations of various sorts in, in your own sort of spiritual life or uh, emotional life. Uh, or maybe that's new to you. I want to give you one to, to practice this morning. It's, it's, it's in my own words. It's not the Bible. You can write your own, right? But, but we, might, we might sort of practice preaching to ourselves something like this. Wherever I go and whatever I do, I am sent there as a son or daughter of God to tell others of God's love in Jesus Christ. Wherever I go, whatever I do. So if it involves traveling or just being in a neighborhood, your neighborhood, or being in your cul-de-sac or whatever the case might be, wherever I go and whatever I do, I'm a baker, I'm a janitor, I'm a stay-at-home mom, I'm a, I'm a teacher, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer. Wherever I go, whatever I do, I am sent there as a son, a daughter of God to tell others of God's love in Jesus Christ. Or if you want to take the pattern of Jesus' life, I'm sent there to show others what God is like, to serve others, right? Not to fulfill the law, but to point them to Jesus who fulfills the law and to point them to the salvation that he provides. Preach that to yourself each morning, each day, on the drive to work, on a return trip home to be with the family, um, and you're in the classroom as a student, preach that to yourself until it's just reflexive, until it's your instinct, and, until it's our normal operating procedure. It's our normal way of thinking about ourselves. And we're not drifting through life. We have been sent into this world by a Savior who himself had been sent. Here's the second thing. Be a member of the church with a sense of sentness. 
So develop that not just individually, but but also apply that as it relates to your church membership. So when Faraji and Serena get to Greensboro, they're going to find a church. Maybe you're here in this area uh, and new to the area in a new year. Maybe you're looking for a church or maybe you're a member of this church or a member of some other church. Let me, let me ask you this question. Is it the case that you think of yourself as having been sent there? Or is it the case more often? that you just come to church. There's a massive difference between coming to church and having a sense of sentness as it relates to your membership in the church. If, we, if we're just coming to church, there's a good chance that we, we are missing that sense of sentness. We're missing that sense of purpose. We will feel ourselves wandering and drifting. Um, we will particularly, when we hit a season of spiritual dryness, which we all go through, we're all going to have seasons of spiritual dryness, particularly when we hit those seasons of spiritual dryness, if our orientation to the church is, this is someplace I come, rather than having a sense of sentness, often, not always, often, will be unsettled in our membership in the church itself. Having lost a sense of purpose, we'll ask ourselves, why do I go? Having lost a sense of sentness, we'll, we'll begin to look for, when we hit those dry places, well, let me find a better show. And I ain't mad at you if you need a show, buy a concert ticket. And it can be a Christian concert. Get a concert ticket. But as it relates to being a part of the family of God, develop a sense of sentness. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when he's talking about the church as, as God's body. And in some sense, he's talking about the posture there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27. Around verses 26 and 27, he says something like this, or maybe 24, 25, you'll find it in there. He says something like this, that God arranged each part in the body just as he chose. In the language that we're using this morning, that means God sent you to that place. God made you an eye. He made you an ear. He made you a hip bone. He, he made you a blood vessel. God sent you to that church to play a part in that body in order to show what he is like, in order to serve others, in order to make the gospel known with that body to your neighbors and your friends. That sense of sentness, just as it kept Jesus, I mean, don't trip. Jesus tells us it was hard to be Jesus, right? This is why he goes out into the desert. He gets away from people for a while to pray. Because these folk, boy, y'all got a lot of needs. Let me go get refreshed with the Father all by myself. This is why he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying until he drops great sweats of blood. Saying, Father, if you will, take this cup from me but then that sentence kept him. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. If, if we are needing to be kept in the faith, in a good Christian rhythm and routine, in the Christian life, one of the things we are probably needing in order to be kept is to develop a a deeper, more thorough sense of God sending us. 
because with that comes purpose and focus and rootedness. And so when you think about your individual Christian life, when you think about your place in a local church, I want to ask you to discern, to pray about, to develop, to cultivate, to protect a sense of sentness. That God has sent me here and that will transform your experience over time in that place with that church on this mission. One more application. Now with that then as a church, we want to be a church in the community in the community, for the community, with that same sense of sentness. Now, wherever you live, where you live here in Southeast D.C., whether you live in Bowie, whether you live in Chevrolet, Alexandria, Arlington, some other little neighborhood, maybe I don't know or have it named, wherever you live, wherever the Lord has sent you from, he has sent you to that place to be a witness for him, right? So there's, there's nothing magical about your address, Changing your address doesn't change your sentness, right? Whoever are your neighbors, wherever they are, you are meant to love them. You're meant to know their names, something about them, to watch out for them, to serve them, to pray for them. You're there with a purpose, having been sent there by God. And so as a congregation, as a church, our sort of mission field here is here in Southeast D.C., this is why primary sort of resonance as a congregation. We just why we drive here to worship instead of saying, hey, that's next week, why don't we go to Silver Spring? Well, it's because God didn't send us to Silver Spring, right? Sent us to Southeast. And if you live in other places, he sent you here to be a part of this church. This means being a part of the life and rhythm and community of Southeast for its blessing and for our blessing. And so we want to cultivate that sense of purpose that we might bear witness here where God has sent us. Practice that affirmation this week. In the morning when you're brushing your teeth, practice that affirmation. Driving to work, whether you like your work or, or not, practice that affirmation, right? Coming home to your spouse, practice that affirmation. Homeschooling your kids, picking them up from school, practice that affirmation. This is meant to sort of show up this sense of sentness in every domain of our life. This brings us to our final point. We are meant to be a sending people. We have a Savior who was sent. We ourselves are sent. But it doesn't stop with just us being sent. We now, in this relay race, are meant to send other people as well. And one of my favorite texts for this would be in 3 John. 3 John, verses 5 to 8. We often talk about this in a missionary context. Um, but we'll use it here in terms of our identity as a church. 3 John, verses 5 to 8. This is what, what's written there by the Apostle John. He says, Beloved it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. He's writing to a man named Gaius, who has been a very faithful Christian, who has helped some traveling missionaries who've come through town. So he's writing to Gaius, but in writing to Gaius, he's writing to the whole church. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. This is this now. You will do well to send them on a journey in a manner worthy of God, 
For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. You see what he's saying? He said, hey, look, guys, the hospitality you showed them and the resources that you gave them, banging, you're spot on. You did well to do that. Now, we need to also send them on from you in a manner worthy of God which at least means send them on in a way in which their needs are met. Send them on with, with generosity and, and lavishness, right? And, and the church is called to partner together to do precisely that. This is why you give to the church. It's not only an act of worship, that's what it is primarily, it's an act of worship where we are ascribing worth to God, but in a practical sense, what we are doing is pooling our resources so we might send. So we might spread the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, from the four corners of the block to the four corners of the globe. We are a partnership together. We are a family business together to send and support each other. Now notice, in all of our callings, in all of our callings, it would be right and easy to apply this to Christian ministry, things that are obviously Christian ministry. To apply this, for example, to the evangelism of coffee and convo, right? Good application. But if we are sent people, wherever we go and whatever we do, then sending each other and supporting each other has broader application than just the immediate application to Christian ministry. So when Eva sings on a Thursday at a restaurant, we need to send her. We need to send her with our love, send her with our prayers. We need to encourage in her a sense of sentness. No matter whatever she's singing, she's singing it to the glory of God. When Dennis travels to Mombasa or Zambia or Thailand, when he goes on these um, junkets, I mean vision trips, We send him, right? And he needs to have a sense of being sent as a disciple, but also as one commissioned and sent by this church. He needs to feel at his back the wind of our encouragement and our prayers. We need to send him. If if you're going on a short-term mission trip or you're going on a long-term mission trip, we, we want to commission and send so that you would have that identity and that purpose driving you. When when Serena goes to A&T to begin work there with campus outreach, she needs to know that ARC sends her. But there are people here who pray for her and who give to that work and support her in that work, are glad about that work, and will stand with her in that work. We need to do that in a manner worthy of God. If you're volunteering at Cornerstone Schools or the House D.C. or some other organization, you, you are sent there, and we need to send you there and to partner with you in that. If you're part of our PSA teams, our Pray, Study, Act teams, we, we want you to have a, a, a sense of sentness there, that, that, that God has somehow burdened you to be involved in, in the issue of housing security or in the issue of, of, of family formation or on the topic of food security and food production or, or on the topic of 
promoting the truth. Whatever that PS18 is, we want you to have a sense of sentness there. And if you don't have that for any team, we want you to pray for it because you are a sent person and God means to use you in that way. Teachers in the classroom, we praise God for you. And we hope that in the, in the dailiness of managing behavior, which you do more of than teaching probably, in the dailiness of dealing with behavior and trying to teach and trying to motivate and trying to inspire, oh God, we pray you feel called and sent. And that roots you and keeps you. In the courtroom, in the boardroom, in the living room, we want to support each other in this sense of sentence. So we'll end with that question. In what way has God sent you? And in what way can you help us to be a sending church family? Pray about that this week. Practice that affirmation this week. Ask God this week to deepen that posture, to put you in that posture of sentness. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we give you praise and thanks for Jesus, whom you sent into the world for our salvation. We're so glad you sent him. We're so glad he came. We're so glad that he did what he came to do. For in his perfect life and in his death on the cross, in his resurrection and his ascension, he accomplished our salvation. We thank you that in Jesus it is done. All that needed to be done to rescue us has been accomplished, and we who trust in him are safely yours. We give you praise for that. And we, we marvel that now your son Jesus has sent us into the world just as you sent him into the world. If that's been sort of not a thought that we have had in our discipleship, it's a new thought to us, we praise you for that. Take that new thought and press it into our hearts and our souls deeply. Or if that's something that we knew and, and we had forgotten, we thank you for reminding us. Thank you for reminding us this morning that you have sent us and, and with that given us purpose and, and help us to just be excited about the opportunity to show the world what you're like and to tell the world of your love in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that as a church, you would, you would give us this posture that each of us in all of our walks of life and in whatever, Lord, you have called us to be, Lord, whether homemakers or uh, firemen or policemen or um, whether you've called us to be in ministry vocationally or um, whatever it is you've called us to do, whatever lane you have called us, we pray that we have a deep and profound sense that you sent us there. That there's purpose in our being there. There's glory in our being there, even in the most ordinary, mundane things. We thank you. We thank you that we get to be your representative on the unemployment line, in the picket line, in the line in the grocery store, wherever we are. And we pray that make us effective 
in holding up Jesus for the world to see. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.